Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. I want to spend some time talking about a topic that is new to me and really new to modern research, how mind-altering drugs might be used to treat mental health and substance use issues. The state of Minnesota recently created a task force to look at the legal, medical, and policy issues around the legalization of mind-altering drugs for medicinal purposes. And you may have heard that last month, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry directed the city's police department and other agencies to deprioritize investigating or arresting people for using some mind-altering drugs. This hour, I'm going to talk with several guests about what these drugs are and what early research is saying about them. And I want to hear from you, too. I want to know, have you ever used psychedelics like magic mushrooms, LSD, or MDMA, which is commonly known as ecstasy? What was your experience when it comes to your mental health? And what questions do you have for our guests? The phone lines are open this hour. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or call us at 800 800- Two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Again, the numbers are six five one two two seven six thousand or eight hundred. 2842-82828. Let's bring in our guests. We have with us Dr. Sandeep Nayak, a psychiatrist and assistant professor. He works at the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelics and Consciousness Research in Baltimore. Good morning to you, Dr. Sandeep. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Dr. Nayak, I should say. We also have with us Quinn No. Quinn is the executive director of Hazelden Betty Ford's Butler Center for Research here in Minnesota. She has a PhD in clinical psychology and is joining us from Vatness Heights. Good morning, Dr. No. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Renji Verghese is with us. He's the chief medical officer at the Institute for Integrative Therapies in Eden Prairie. He's also on the state's task force for psychedelic medicine and an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota. Good morning to you, Dr. Verghese. Good morning. So, Dr. Nayak, I want to start with you, and I want to make sure we do have a good understanding of what we're even talking about when we use the word psychedelics. Uh, So, Dr. Nayak, how do you describe what psychedelics are to people who are unfamiliar with them? So there's a couple of different uh, things that get lumped under the, the name psychedelics. So first off, you have classic psychedelics, and these are drugs, plants, fungi that act very specifically on your brain through a serotonin receptor mm-hmm. and produces a whole range of effects, uh, enhanced sense of meaning, altered sense of self, altered sense of time, uh, mystical type experiences, all of which is transient Um This includes things like LSD or acid, uh, so-called magic mushrooms, peyote. Um, And they are extremely physically safe, but there are a variety of psychological risks. But those are the ones that are being being studied. Some people also include uh, a a different drug called MDMA, which is a synthetic chemical, but it has some similar effects and it also has some differences. Um, so broadly speaking, I think most people are talking about classic psychedelics and MDMA when they use that word psychedelics. Right, because uh, and there's a, a distinction. You have natural ones and the synthetic ones. And so, you know, what's the big difference there that people should be aware of when you're talking about whether something that is natural or something synthetic? So the natural compounds have, in some cases, a variety of different compounds. In some cases, um they're doing effectively the same thing. I, I think this is a topic that a lot of people feel very strongly about, 
But if you take psilocybin, for example, in most of the clinical trials, we are using a synthetic compound that is found naturally in mushrooms. Um, my sense by and large is that they're likely doing basically the same thing, though it's possible that there are some subtle differences. And so another question, how do people get these drugs into their body? How, how are they ingested, Dr. Nayak? Well, that, that all depends on what context, what circumstance. I mean, uh, in the clinical trials, you know, we are getting pure synthetically made psilocybin that is delivered in a highly regulated um, legal fashion. But then, of course, there are also mushrooms which grow everywhere that contain psilocybin, which people may um, pluck or buy and, and take it. Uh, but basically, they're eating it, uh, long story short. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are other psychedelic uh, compounds which are taken in other, any number of other ways, though. And as a researcher at Johns Hopkins, uh, what can you tell us, uh, Dr. Nayak, about the history of psychedelics? I mean, when, when did people first start using these drugs and why? What was compelling them to even try it? So that kind of stretches back into the, into the misty past. Um, there's clear evidence that some psychedelics have been used for uh, millennia, not, not in many places, mainly just in the Americas, actually. And there's probably just, you know, a, a variety of reasons that people use them for religious reasons, for ceremonial reasons, for frankly, recreational reasons, for uh, medicinal reasons. Mm-hmm. They are getting... Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I was, I sort of hesitate there. The, the, the why? Like, what are, are people trying to do? Is it to treat anxiety, depression, or what is it? Well, nowadays, the, I think the reason why they're getting a lot of attention is the medical use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for whatever reason, these compounds are seem to be able. There's mounting preliminary evidence that they that they may serve, again, delivered in a certain way, uh, as rapid acting psychotherapeutic agents. And that's for a variety of conditions, including mood disorders, uh, substance use disorders, etc. Mm-hmm. So they produce very profound changes in the mind that are transient. And yet there are enduring effects. People will often say that these are some of the most meaningful experiences of their life, again, delivered in specific contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yet, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go ahead. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I think I think one thing that's very important to just for everyone to know, though, is that uh, it's not just the drug. When we we talk about the effects of these substances in the clinical trials, it really matters how it's used. So, uh, psychedelic use in a ceremonial context, psychedelic use recreationally, psychedelic use in a clinical trial, they may they may actually produce um, different effects. Dr. Uh, Verghese, you're on the Minnesota Department of Health's new task force called the Psychedelic Medicine uh, Task Force. What was going on that led to its creation? Uh, Yeah, thank you, Angela. I think that um, our governor, our state representatives have really recognized that mental health is a priority. Um, And they've recognized that psychedelic medicines can be a potential tool to help people who have not improved with typical care which may include antidepressants and psychotherapy. So in the recent 2023 legislative session, the, um, you know, the, the state basically said we needed to understand these medicines uh, in a broader context to understand how we might be able to regulate uh, this in a legal, medical, and, and understand policy issues associated with the, the legalization of this. As, and as Dr. Nyack said, there are, there's mounting preliminary evidence, but I think the... 
uh, train has left the station. We are now really convinced that these medicines can induce you know, powerful non-ordinary states of consciousness that allow people to potentially think outside of the box, if you will. So as Dr. Nyack was saying, there is this transient, there's just this temporary experience that people have under the influence of these psychedelics that allow them to sort of let go of rigid ways of thinking and allow information that may be sort of suppressed to bubble up and maybe reappraised in a different way. And being able to reappraise information or experiences or memories from the past in a different way allows people to have different perspectives. Those perspectives might give people a new way of thinking about themselves, how they connect with others, how they think about um, the world around them. You know, people have, again, profound potential spiritual experiences. Um, and um, and these are enduring. So most of the people under the right context, what 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 I would say is under the right set and setting, you you really can induce a powerful experience that can be enduring for not just weeks but for months. Hmm. So uh, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah, getting back to uh, this, this task force uh, that was uh, that's now I guess a part of the Minnesota Department of Health that's studying this. Uh, who's on this task force? Are, are the members all doctors? Are they people from the community? What kinds of, of folks are on this task force? Yeah, we've we've recruited a bunch of different people. There are about um, two members that uh, represent uh, the, the recruiting for Indian tribes. Uh, one member that has um, expertise in the treatment of substance use disorders. A psychologist. Uh, with experience in treating uh, treatment-resistant mental health conditions. I'm the one physician and psychiatrist uh, that uh, treats uh, mental health conditions. We have veterans as well, veterans that have uh, treatment-resistant mental health conditions. So we have people from the community trying to provide information to the legislative body on how do we you know, understand this and bring this uh, in a way that is responsible and ethical? I think in, in reading a, about this, I, I saw s- several mentions of veterans who uh, have used psychedelics uh, to, to treat PTSD. What can you tell us about that, Dr. Uh, Verghese? Yeah, this is interesting because, you know, um, as you know, psychedelics uh, are illegal. It's not uh, available. It's not able to be prescribed. Ketamine is a medication that is now used widely for the treatment of depression as an off-label use for depression and can be used um, uh, to induce psychedelic journeys, but psychedelics have not been legal. So people have tried to find psychedelics on the underground. And some of these really vocal folks that have tried psychedelics are our veterans who have had treatment-resistant PTSD or depression and who've not had benefit from typical therapies, which includes antidepressants, uh, prolonged exposure and therapy, but who found that medicines like MDMA or say psilocybin, have just sort of shifted their focus and improved their symptoms. So they've been vocal in telling you know, others that, hey, this is useful, it's helped me, let's get this legal. And um, you know, this is, you know, uh, and, and, and lawmakers have taken notice, this is not a bipartisan issue, I mean, this is a bipartisan issue. People from across the aisles are starting to say, hey, this is useful, and, uh, and, and again, this is not a bipartisan issue, this is a human issue, and this is largely, well, to a degree, been pushed by our veterans, and we have to thank them for that. 
Quinn, you're the uh, executive director of Hazelden Betty Ford's Butler Center for Research. Uh, you have a PhD in clinical psychology. Psychology. What are your thoughts so far about what you've heard so far in this conversation from our other two guests? Yeah, I'm, you know, I think it's really exciting to think about promising new medicines and certainly um, at Hazelden Betty Ford, we're always um, interested in following the the science of addiction and addiction treatment, um, you know, and and mental health as well, uh, given that so many millions of, pe- of people in our country face mental health and substance use challenges. At the same time, um, I think when it comes to uh, um, America's response to addiction and often mental health, um, you know, there's I, I think it's it's important to temper enthusiasm sometimes um, and, and not because um, people haven't, you know, certain people haven't benefited a great deal, but because um, individuals who are struggling with addiction and mental health concerns are a vulnerable population. Um, they're very vulnerable and and oftentimes desperate to feel better. Mm-hmm. And we need to be very thoughtful and careful about what we are advocating um, in terms of medicinal uses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our history, you know, at various times in our history, um, you know, there have been, you know, medical treatments that right now we would, uh, we might shudder to think about, you know, cocaine was prescribed for alcoholism at, at one point. Um, mm. And, you know, more recently, we saw what happened um, with opioids. Um, you know, there were some yes. benefits that were mm. oversold and risks. And, um, and we think about the marginalized communities um, that, you know, are hit hardest uh, by addiction and mental health. And, you uh, you know, there has been, as with much research, underrepresentation of communities of color and other marginalized communities in the research. Um, and early research on uh, um, on these substances have suffered from methodological issues with small sample sizes, lack of control um, groups. And um, so I think it's important to, um, I think it's it's exciting and certainly important to continue, but I think there's a lot more to learn, um, even though current research is, is really improving. We're talking about um, the use of psychedelics for medicinal purposes to treat things like anxiety, depression, PTSD. And I want to hear from our listeners too. Have you used psychedelics like magic mushrooms or LSD or MDMA? What was your experience when it comes to your mental health. Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. I have three guests very knowledgeable about this topic. Do you have a question for them? Give us a call 651-227-6000. We're getting phone calls now. And and so I want to talk to some of our listeners and hear what they have to say about this. In Chaska, we have Alex on the phone. Good morning, Alex. Thank you for calling in. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. What did you want to tell us? Um, I have done two medicine journeys, um, one in March of 2021 and uh, my second one, most recent in October of 2022. Um, I suffered from uh, childhood trauma, um, anxiety, depression, and uh, I'd always used the martial arts, specifically judo and jujitsu, mm-hmm. as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And then during covid uh, when we weren't able to train, I kind of had a bit of a downward spiral and it wasn't really working. So I looked into uh, other options. And at the time, I think that the uh, the ketamine clinic in St. Paul had opened. I did some research on it. Um, I decided it really wasn't for me um, just because of the disassociative nature of, of ketamine. Um, and then as, as serendipity would have it, um, through a series of 
non-coincidental circumstances. Um, I was put in touch with a psychedelic therapist in Colorado um, who's been using the, uh, the Johns Hopkins protocol that they were using for people with terminal illnesses, and uh, which is a, yeah, as your guest alluded to earlier, set and setting is the most important part of it. And uh, it's a controlled setting where you're listening to a curated music list. Um, you're wearing a blindfold. Um, you're given what's called a heroic dose. Mm-hmm. And uh, the change was, uh, I, I just, I can't really understate it. I mean, it's its an ineffable experience, so I mean, you can't describe it, but I can tell you that it was a reboot. Um, the ruminations, um, the things that I was dealing with that were not allowing me to proceed with my life uh, just, just changed so dramatically um, that it's just been a completely life-changing event for me. So- I don't ruminate anymore. Um, my loving, my living, my training, everything, because I'm a competitive player. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is changed. So, so Alex, you, you said you were seeking help with uh, childhood trauma, and so that, that this tremendously helped. So, so, so how, again, to tell me how this helped you. Well, specifically, my brother was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since then, I've had, I've had anger issues. I've had... Um, and, and like I said before, they were mostly controlled with uh, my physical outlets. Um, but then, it, but really, it was just a coping mechanism. And then, after I was introduced to the therapist in Colorado, you know, we we went through the process of. I mean, it, it's 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 not simply you know turning on and and seeing pretty colors. I mean, you go through a, a pretty rigorous uh, month long process of of therapy and going and figuring out what your intentions are. And I think that I should just take this moment to to kind of. If anybody is interested in this, uh, the, the best book out there, I think, is uh, Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Um, it represents the science. It represents um, his own experience. And it's, it's a really excellent primer for anyone who, who would like to, mm-hmm. to get a little bit more information. All right. That's Alex in Chaska. Alex, thank you for calling in and sharing uh, your story. Uh, Dr. Nayak, uh, Alex said he uh, went through a psychedelics therapy uh, that's associated with Johns Hopkins uh, for treatment and helping him deal with childhood trauma. And what can you tell us about this? He described it, you know, happening in a, in a clinical setting. What did you hear in his story? So, uh, yeah, let me say, first off, I'm glad that you had a positive outcome uh, and what you're describing is the kind of, it sounds like the kind of method and the kind of things that can happen in our clinical trials. However, I will also say that what you're describing is also illegal and underground and unregulated at, at this juncture. Um, and so I, I do want people to have a sense of caution that, you know, we have medical usage that's proceeding along the normal routes. You also have a variety of other uses. And so um, I think that, Again, very happy that you had a positive outcome, and it, it, that is that does track with the kinds of things that we see. But we are still talking about an experimental treatment um, that that is not actually appropriate for every everyone. So I don't want anyone to think that mm-hmm. this is a miracle cure. So this is what makes this so complicated and, and confusing. Confusing, you know, Quinn. What did you hear uh, in Alex's story? Because uh, we know many people are, are dealing with the you know effects of childhood trauma. 
Yes. And, you know, with trauma and, and mental health and addiction, so often the healing journey can feel um, very personal and individual. And I think I really heard that in Alex's story. Um, at the same time, every person's journey is different. And so, you know, like Dr. Nayak was saying, uh, I think it's it's great that it, it worked out really well for him. But the, the science isn't there right now in terms of being able to say, you know, these substances work um, um, consistently and systematically for all um, individuals in the same way or in the ways that we hope. Um, so I, I, I think it's it's great. And also, uh, again, some caution in, in mm. using these, especially in these kinds of um, underground settings. Uh, Dr. Verghese, uh, you're on the, the task force here in Minnesota that's that's researching this. You know, what, what are some of the concerns that you guys are looking at so that people do say stay, do stay safe and also, you know, seek treatments that are legal? Yeah, so this is, a, a, you know, Alex had made a, a good point, and so did Dr. No, that this is not a panacea. Psychedelics, there's never a panacea for anything, right? Life doesn't offer this. But, uh, but what we're looking for is to make sure that when these medicines eventually become legal, if they become legal, um, that we identify the appropriate person that may benefit. So when we talk about set and setting, I add two more S's selection of the right patient to maybe say no to people that might not benefit from them uh, you know creating a set a mindset for folks that fe- that they feel safe creating a setting for people during their experience that feels very safe and secure and then support afterwards so this is where the preparation and the integration occurs so um what i hear alex saying is he if this was a clinical trial he did this sort of the appropriate way it is illegal. It's not for everyone, but it is significantly better than what we have today, at least from preliminary research in terms of rebooting the system, if you will, and, and resetting. Let's talk with another one of our listeners who's called in. We're talking about the use of psychedelics for medicinal purposes to treat anxiety, depression, PTSD. Taking your phone calls, have you used psychedelics like magic mushrooms or LSD or MDMA? What was your experience when it comes to your mental health? What questions do you have for our guests? Call us. 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828 in Oakdale. Ben is on the phone. Hi, Ben. Thank you for waiting. And what did you want to tell us? Hi there. Um, First of all, I wanted to say thank you for, you know, actually giving this to sort of a front and center type of coverage. Um, I feel like it's something that's very important and needs to be studied a lot further. Um, But uh, for me personally, it has tremendously helped me in the past uh, in dealing with addiction issues. Uh, and one of the things that I think is most, uh, one, of the, one of the things that's not talked about enough is the fact that within, uh, you know, AA and NA, um, the, the actual founder of AA, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, they were both sort of early advocates for psychedelic therapy. Um, and Bill Wilson himself actually used LSD to create um, the psychic change that the program talks about within himself. Um, and he was, you know, up until that point, sort of a, uh, a failed alcoholic in the sense of everything that he had tried up until that point did not work. Um, so I think that for people that have treatment-resistant alcoholism or substance abuse issues, like, and has failed in other methods, I feel like it is 
something that can be extremely beneficial for changing the mindset and getting them primed and ready to accept recovery and to, you know, analyze their life and figure out what, you know, what areas they might be lacking in and, you know, what areas they need to, you know, improve in. Uh, and personally for me, it's been, like I said, it's been extremely beneficial. So Ben, specifically, what have you, have you used uh, and, and how has it helped? Uh, I've had experience with LSD and with psilocybin. Um, and for me personally, it's helped to sort of take me outside of my, my everyday state of being, right? Um, and to help me sort of process through childhood trauma and look at things from a very different perspective, a very, um, you know, outside perspective. You tend to, you know, throughout your day-to-day, you tend to get so caught up in, you know, the individual um, that you lose sight of the things that are around you and, like, the interconnectedness of, of people. And so it helped me to really open up to the world around me, to process through a lot of these really difficult traumas that I had, you know, shoved down for a really long time mm-hmm. and avoided dealing with. But, but um, to me, that, that sounds scary. Yeah, I, it in the moment, it might be a little scary. And I feel like that's why, again, like they've said, uh, like your experts have already said, the set and setting and support is really crucial for helping people through that. Um, if you're going at it alone, it can be kind of a terrifying experience. And that's why I feel like you need to have somebody there who is experienced in dealing with this and is willing to coach you through it and help you understand the the things that come up as they happen, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. just like any other psychotherapy, you know, if you're, whether you're doing, you know, people have experimented with hypnosis and all sorts of things throughout the, throughout the years. And there's always been, you know, that need to have a coach to have somebody to guide you through it. And Mm -hmm. I don't think with psychedelics, it's the same thing. Thank you for calling in and sharing uh, your experience, uh, Ben. I appreciate it. That's Ben in Oakdale. Uh, Quinn, there at uh, Hazelton Betty Ford, uh, you're seeing patients who are, are dealing with addiction. Uh, have have you know? Have people described their use of psychedelics uh, with staff members there? And are there any stories that you can share? Um, well, not stories that I can share, but it is um, certainly um, a topic that's. Uh, um, happening more frequently uh, at Hazelden Betty Ford. And so we are talking among our counselors and clinicians about how to um, support and handle some of these situations. Uh, and it's, it's uh, one thing I will say is, um, Angela, when you said that, that it sounded scary, I, I, I think healing from addiction is scary. And so it's, it's all kind of scary for, um, for individuals who are going through it. Um, and ironically, there was actually a 2021 um, article uh, research uh, in the International Journal of Drug Policy by David Yadin um, out of Johns Hopkins and a couple of colleagues that looks at how um, uh, some of these psychedelics could work synergistically with 12-step recovery programs. Um, so there is some research um, into that. And and I think it's really because, you know, the 12-step program also emphasizes spirituality. And and we've heard from everyone here today sort of, or, or at least alluded to um, the fact that there can be these sort of spiritual experiences with the use of psychedelics. Um, and, and I think that also um, warrants a, a, a nod to the fact that, 
or or um, a point of note that many of these substances um, are from indigenous cultures and they've been taken from indigenous cultures um, and out of their spiritual practices. Um, And so as we adapt these and, you know, in in some cases, hopefully not too many, co-opting these um, uh, these procedures um, that we really think about that as well and and consider sort of the, the history and context and how to do this in in very respectful, safe ways for um, for individuals who could benefit from this. And Dr. Nayak, you're a researcher there at Johns Hopkins. I know that there are research uh, facilities popping up around the U.S. to look at whether these mind-altering drugs can be helpful, um, you know, in treating depression, anxiety, alcohol use, childhood trauma. So, so what does that tell us, that, there's, that right now there's so much research happening with it? I think the research, the amount of research that's being devoted to this is appropriate. I mean, some of the results that are coming out are astounding and it deserves good quality, appropriate study to really see what are the benefits, what are the risks and how can we manage these and should they be medicalized? Um, So I I think it just reflects the magnitude of the potential that we're seeing this much research cropping up. Mm-hmm. And and Dr. Verghese, I think I have in my notes here that, that you were part of a, a psychedelic research trial uh, at the University of Minnesota. Uh, what can you tell us about that study and its results? That's uh, Thank you, Angela. Yes, I'm privileged to be part of a, a fantastic team that's led by Jessica Nielsen at the University of Minnesota that started the first psychedelic uh, research trial, and uh, it's using psilocybin. It's a mechanistic-style look, uh, study looking at how the visual... Uh, system sort of is affected by psilocybin. We do a specific study called a visual surround suppression, but we're also doing MRIs as well. It, the study is actually going to expand in, into um, looking at people with treatment-resistant depression as well. Um, and as Dr. Sandeep was just basically saying is that um, the lights are on. We've had uh, 40 years of not being able to do any of this research because uh Psychedelics have been, you know, classified as uh, Schedule One, and it was exceedingly difficult to do the research. And so now we have the opportunity to start research and sort of catch up, if you want, uh, if you will, um, on neuroscience. So I think we'll just continue to move the needle forward with this. And that uh, that research trial was specifically looked at uh, psilocybin. Tell me what that is again, psilocybin. So, so- yeah, so psilocybin is the psychoactive ingredient that's found naturally in different types of fungi, hundreds of species of different types of fungi, specifically the psilocybe genus. And when it's ingested, if you sort of eat it, people will have these psychedelic experiences. Um, if you if you sort of synthesize it in the laboratory, psilocybin is converted to another chemical, which uh, in clinical trials will induce these, you know, reliably in, in, induce these uh, uh, psychedelic experiences or transient experiences. So essentially, it's a chemical that alters the way the mind typically thinks, um, gets you into non-ordinary states of consciousness temporarily. Um, and for the most, for the majority of people, if it's done appropriately with, you know, set and setting, can rapidly have an antidepressant effect and hopefully have this enduring effect of um, this, this antidepressant effect. Lots of listeners on the line. Let's get to the phone in Minnetonka. Tom is on hold. Good morning, Tom. What did you want to tell us? Good morning. Yeah. So I'm 58 and uh, growing up, I think, you know, acid was pretty much part of the lexicon. 
amongst a lot of my peers. So I, I gave it a try and really wanted to share the same experience, the positive experience that I saw my, my friends having. But in every instance, I just, um, while there was, you know, at, on the onset when it started kicking in, it was enjoyable, but I, I always had severe kind of anxiety and paranoia, you know, towards the end of the trip. And so I've just kind of given up on any hope for a positive experience with it, but mm-hmm. maybe with the context, I'm, I'm not sure, but it just, if I had to explain it, it feels like to me, like a, I have insight into what schizophrenia might feel like. It just was always a bad experience towards the end. And Tom, what are your thoughts about um, the state now looking into, you know, what is the current research on um, psychedelics for medicinal purposes? What do you think about, you know, perhaps us moving towards legalization of some of these drugs? Well, I I, I think it's great. Um, I, you know, I think it's it works for some people, and I think I might be an outlier, um, but I, I'm for it. All right, let's talk to another listener in Minneapolis. Rob is on the phone. Good morning, Rob. What do you want to tell us or ask? Yeah, Rob? hi. So um, um, I uh, struggle with uh, depression. It unfortunately uh, is treatment-resistant. Uh, the medications cause a lot of side effects for me. Um, I also struggle with anxiety, um, some uh, pretty extreme panic attacks at times. Um, but I also have a um, um, heart condition. And my question uh, for the panel is, based on uh, the trials and the information that we have, what is the safety profile of uh, some of these substances for someone in my position? Um, well, how serious is your be, heart condition? How serious is your heart condition? Um, it's, it's, uh, treated with a pacemaker. Um, I'm an incredibly active and otherwise, um, healthy person, but it's a condition that I've had since mm-hmm. birth. Um, so, you know, I occasionally drink alcohol. I actually have had, uh, psychedelic experiences in my youth and uh, through my 20s a bit, Um, but here, fast forward to where I'm at in my life currently, um, it's something that I'm certainly curious about, but uh, sort of like we've talked about so far, I don't want to be using these substances recreationally. Um, Well, Rob, let's let's ask the doctors here, Uh, Dr. Dr. Nayak, uh, Rob says, you know, uh, he has a pacemaker, heart condition, um, but is also struggling with depression and anxiety. Would he be a candidate for some type of psychedelic therapy? Um, well, so currently in the highly regulated, I, I can just speak for our own trials. Um, people that have significant cardiovascular conditions uh, would would not actually be admitted into these trials at this juncture. Um the only uh, psilocybin is a remark in terms of physical toxicity is a remarkably safe drug. The only deaths that I am aware of, which there are very, very small handful were in people with preexisting cardiac disease. And there, there are, you know, some risk for elevated blood pressure for arrhythmias. It's not very high. Um, but I, I don't actually believe that somebody with your condition would, would be admitted into our trials for, on that basis. The actual risk, again, 
like things may change if this gets approved and and whatnot. But as of now, that's the case, I believe. Mm, Dr. Verghese, uh, anything you would say uh, to Rob there? Yeah, I would add to uh, Dr. Nayak here is that um, most of these uh, classical psychedelics will transiently increase heart rate and blood pressure. Mm. So folks that have pre-existing heart conditions should be, um, and again, in our clinical trial, we also eliminate anyone that has any pre-existing heart conditions. Um, so this underscores the importance of understanding the safety of these medicines and what the task force could probably add to the existing literature is like, which patients could safely proceed with using psychedelics. There are other medicines that can be used safely. Ketamine is now used uh, safely in patients that have pre-existing heart conditions. But these are folks that have pretty stable conditions, you know, heart conditions. But um, again, it underscores that not everyone would be a candidate for these medicines. And we have to be, um, we have to figure out a way to... um, Make sure that uh, folks are screened appropriately before they consider this uh, this mm-hmm. um, uh, medicine. And Quinn, I'm curious as you hear people uh, and interact with people looking for help. Uh, what are you thinking when you hear the state is is really studying psychedelics in medicine? As someone who's there, you know, working uh, and treating people living with addiction at uh, Hazelton Betty Ford. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Um, I think it's really important to have these conversations. I think that um, having this uh, task force means that we can do this in a really responsible way, you know, especially as use of psychedelics becomes um, commercialized. I think it's really important to do this responsibly so that we're protecting the people um, who need it and also getting it to the people who need it in, in, in a really safe way. So I'm, I'm actually um, very excited about it. Another phone call from a listener in St. Paul. Ken is on the phone. Ken, what did you want to tell us about uh, psychedelics and, and medicine? Yeah, hi, thank you. Um, so they have been really life-changing for me. They've profoundly changed my life for the better. And uh, since I started, I, I, I dabbled with psychedelics in my late teens, early 20s. Um, but every time back then, it was, you know, completely wrong environment. Um, and I can I can relate to the the a lot of the uh, the callers, the other callers, and also your guest speakers with you know with with the set and setting and you know getting that right. And um, it's a completely different experience when you get the set and setting right and you go in there with intentions um, and uh, you know you have something that you really want to work on. And it's when you're in that like therapeutic kind of ceremonial mind state, it's a completely different experience than when you're using them like in a party or, you know, recreationally. Um, what, can and, can yeah, may they, I ask what in particular have you used? Uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Okay. Okay. And yeah, and I will say like they are a medicine. Yeah, for them to be uh, classified as a schedule one and, and to have been illegal for this, for this long, it's really a crime to humanity, I will say, because like, like the, the guests we're talking about, uh, how they are a profound treatment for PTSD for veterans. I mean, they literally are life changing. And, and, uh, yeah. And again, I, in, uh, one of the other callers, he said, you know, they, they, they are, they have the potential to be scary. So it's definitely something you do want to do with somebody who's got a lot of experience or a professional, you know, unfortunately it's hard to find the professionals in the current, uh, climate, but, uh, but yeah, it's, they've, they've changed my life for the better. You know, it's, um, 
you have these profound insights and it's like you under the influence of these of this medicine you you it, it's like it'll just knock the kind of like the layers of stuff that society has kind of piled on you over your life that doesn't need to be there and it just it knocks it free kind of knocks it loose it is a reset and and it makes you realize like oh i don't have to do this repetitive habit that i do that's that's self-defeating you know in my life and and I, you know it's just it, 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 I could go on and on, but yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That's uh, Ken uh, in St. Paul. Another phone call from St. Paul. This is Michael on the line. And Michael, what do you want to tell us as we talk about uh, psychedelics for medicinal purposes? Hey, thanks so much. This Hi. conversation is massively important. And the more conversations that we have, the better. I feel like um, I'm learning a lot, Michael. I, I, I ask these <laughs> yeah. questions. I'm like, I, I don't feel like I have a good grasp on, on what we're talking about here, but I'm reading headlines about change. So that's why I wanted to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, and our and and those who've been using these uh, hallucinogenic plants are celebrating a lot, but they can also be very frustrated in this process. Um, so I use hallucinogenic plants as medicine. I mean, even in recreational settings, it's still medicinal, right? Like a walk through the woods on mushrooms is recreational and medicinal. Um, but you know, going to a music festival and you know. Uh, doing psychedelics there doesn't always get the medicinal effect, but, you know, I, I keep hearing like set and setting, which I agree with completely. Um, but we're, I, I feel like we don't trust people enough, right? Like we record, like we trust 16 year olds to drive death machines around that can actually cause harm to a lot of people. I mean, we just heard on, uh, during that quick news segment, you know, what can happen with, um, automotive accidents and we can't trust people to explore their own consciousness. You know, that sounds more like control than safety to me. And in that note, and kind of agreeing with Ken too, you know, hallucinogenic plants have been around. Many ethnobotanists believe that they have aided in us, you know, evolving into the modern humans that we are now. And if you look back in history, whether it's the church and their beer purity laws in the 1500s, you know, mushrooms were taken religiously, even within the, uh, you know, Catholic church. And um, in the 1500s, they made laws that people couldn't put mushrooms in beer anymore, the, the Bavarian Beer Purity Act. So in that case, it's about control. They The church wanted to control people's religious experience. And then you have the medicine in America in the early 1900s, you had people getting uh, jailed and their careers destroyed and literal books being burned surrounding ancient mm-hmm. medicine and plant-based medicine so that it could be replaced by petroleum-based medicine. So then we have capitalism coming so, in. Michael, you, and, you would like to see expanded use of, of this, and, and you are encouraged by the state creating a task force to study this further? Well, that's, that's where the frustration lies, too, because it's inc- it, is in, it is encouraging, but the frameworks that we are judging this by mm-hmm. are, the, are the same frameworks that maliciously made it illegal in the first place due to colonialism, capitalism, racism. So I think mm-hmm. it's really important to recognize that okay. the framework that is bringing this forward right now is also a framework that is, is doing so with profit in mind and 
and well, thank you, Mike. I, I, I want to get to some of our other listeners because our, our time is is going short. And I, I also I need to ask uh, Dr. Verghese another question. There was a brief mention of of ketamine earlier in the hour, uh, and Dr. Verghese, you are the chief medical officer at Institute for Integrative Therapies in Eden Prairie. I mentioned, and your clinic uses ketamine. Describe what that is and how it is used. Yeah, so thank you. Ketamine's been around since 1962. It was approved by the FDA in 1970. It's an anesthetic, but at sub-anesthetic doses, it can occasion non-ordinary states of consciousness. Not exactly like the classical psychedelics, but similar. It has a dissociative component. In our clinic, what we do, and, and again, uh, ketamine is a non uh, is is approved for anesthesia, but off-label used for depression. Uh, we can use ketamine. So people that come into our clinic with depression, PTSD, OCD, or anxiety disorders, what we do is we identify whether they'd be a good candidate. We set them up with a therapist. We prepare them with uh, whatever intentions they would like to experience or to understand. We have them sit in our um, uh, room. It's a beautifully curated room. They listen to curated music and they have an inward focused journey while the therapist is sitting next to them the entire time. And while I'm sitting with them or Dr. Doss is sitting with them. And then afterwards, the patient works with the therapist on integrating the information that may have come out. And as one of the listeners has said a little bit earlier, some of these experiences can be um, challenging, but sometimes it's the challenge that allows you to break through to be able to confront those fears and move past them. And so the, I say some of the most important steps is the step after the medicine journey on what do you want to do afterwards. So ketamine now is widely used uh, in a number of different clinics, including ours, um, to try and rapidly reduce depressive features. And that's you know been studied using randomized controlled trials. And it is the only legal medicine available to people to rapidly reduce depression and occasion uh, somewhat psychedelic journeys. And Dr. Danayak, looking uh, forward, uh, what is it that's missing in the research right now that you would like to see happen and happen soon? So if I just may opine on something Mm -hmm. real quick, I mean, the research is proceeding and there's a well-trodden track as to how you get a drug medically approved, but these policy discussions often smash together three separate things. One is, should psychedelics be criminalized? Another is, should personal use of psychedelics be legal? And three is, should psychedelics be medically approved? And as far as the medically approval thing, we we have a very clear path for how that's done for other drugs. And I don't think we should use medicalization to fix broken drug policy. We should fix broken drug policy. Um, And I think that these should be separate questions that are addressed separately. If that makes sense. So I think the research is proceeding kind of as it should be. Well, again, I have to acknowledge I've learned a lot in the last hour, and I want to thank our guests for sharing their expertise with us. Uh, We've been talking with uh, Dr. Sandeep Nayak, a psychiatrist and an assistant professor there at Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelics and Consciousness Research in Baltimore. Thank you, Dr. Nayak. Also, Quinn No, the executive director of Hazelden Betty Ford's Butler Center for Research. Thank you for your time, Quinn. And Dr. Renji Verghese, who is a psychiatrist and on the Minnesota Department of Health's Psychedelic Medicine Task Force. They do have a, a, a website, a page on the Department of Health's website if you want to read more about what's happening here. Today's conversation was produced by Danelle Clute. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.